0: What's up, everybody? On today's demo day, we'll be interviewing Will Schmidt, the head of venture strategy at Maroma Ventures. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some incredibly useful tips on becoming a venture capitalist. The differences between lead investing and co-investing and the traits that VCs are not looking for in startup founders.
1: There is a partnership mentality on what you can bring to the deal, what, what you're gonna do differently for the company and the entrepreneur, what they could potentially bring to the deal, how it can be
0: a win-win for everybody. Maroma Ventures invests in growth stage consumer brands and media platforms with a unique expertise in marketing solutions. Some of their notable investments include ClassPass, Just Water, Pinterest, and many, many more. Without further ado, let's jump into Demo Day. Will, thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, Will, you have quite a uh, extensive, you know, career and experience both in the financial sector as well as, you know, venture. And I always like to start the podcast off by just getting a better idea of why venture. You know, you could do so many different things. You could be working in so many different industries, but supporting entrepreneurs, uh, being in the startup ecosystem you know, you've obviously chosen to, you know, put your time, your energy, your effort. Why is VC and venture something that is so important to you?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, for me, it's really about getting to work with entrepreneurs, really smart people, surrounding yourselves with investors and advisors in the space, um, and and seeing entrepreneurs, seeing their passion, something that's you know almost infectious or contagious about. Um, wanting to, you know, change the world or, or make a mark on the world and, and leave the world in a better place um, and leveraging technology and, and really be you know, willing to risk everything, I, I guess, you know, that there's something about that that I think is truly inspiring. And for me, my path to venture was, um, you know, really started out in investment banking advisory work, um, kind of a traditional finance path mm-hmm. of investment banking advisory in the middle market. Uh, private equity, more buyout oriented work, um, looking at buyouts in the lower, lower middle market um, and then corporate finance experience. So I had kind of the advisory investing and corporate finance uh, experience in what I was seeing over, you know, past decade or so um, was really strategic, starting to get involved much earlier, invest and acquire um, in businesses that were, you know, probably sub 50 million net sales. Okay. And these are incumbents that really you know, owned uh, particular categories, you know, five, five uh, large incumbents would, you know, control 60 to 70% of, of, you know, the food space or or something to that effect. And so um, what I saw was, um, you know, that, that sort of activity, I wanted to go earlier and invest and advise um, entrepreneurs and businesses that were starting out at the, you know, venture and growth stage.
0: I love that. And, you know, we'll spend a little bit more time later on, you know, getting to know what that, that journey's been like for you and what you love about venture that maybe you didn't see in your previous career, um, before diving in, maybe we could kind of like unwind a little bit and start more towards like early life for you. Like yeah. where did you grow up? And I always like to ask, like, did you always think that you had a knack for, you know, finance and investing, in. and so maybe talk to us about like where did you grow up and what was like early childhood like for you and what'd you like to do and then you know when did you know that venture and or just finance and numbers were something that like you were really passionate about.
1: I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up mm. in Ohio. Um, went to Miami University in Ohio for undergrad and was was actually pretty interested in finance and investing from an early stage. I was kind of a a Warren Buffett fanatic. Would read you know his books and you know read the shareholder uh, letters and. And, and essays and things of that sort. Um, my grandfather would give us stock certificates for like birthday presents and Christmas presents. So naturally I had like an inclination to learn more about the markets and investing in stocks and, and bonds and things of that nature. Um, and it, it really just kind of evolved from there. When I was in undergrad, I started the first kind of investment banking club at, at Miami university and um, it was an investing club as well. And um, that's, that's really what just got me interested in in finance was uh was looking at the public markets and trying to understand what drove growth in certain companies. Why did a company look to acquire another company? Um, how did, you know, how did you build a, you know, a great brand or, or roll out innovative products is really just, you know, taking a look at
0: those specific companies from an investment uh, perspective. And now I'm just curious because what I, I actually went to the university of Miami, so yeah. uh, <laughs> a little bit different. Um, But, yeah. but, but, but I never was a part of like an investment club. Like what for those that are freshmen, sophomore juniors in college and are listening right now, you know, and are, are hearing this podcast, like what is an investment club? And um, for people that have never been in one before, like what what do you expect when you join a group like that? For us, who is really looking at um
1: you know the clubs at the university and realizing that there was a gap you know looking at the other other universities had investment clubs and stock clubs and investment banking clubs and consulting clubs and and things of that nature and so um, you know, kind of identified a gap there in, in the, in the university, in the club system. And, um, you know, really it was, it's kind of a collection of friends and people that were interested in the markets that were investing on their own, that wanted to kind of learn and share knowledge, um, on, you know, particular investment strategies or tactics that they've taken in investing, um, and looking at the public markets and, and really just meeting, you know, kind of on a weekly or biweekly basis and sharing different investment theses and, and really, you know, trying to you know, basically invest a, a portfolio, um, that was all kind of student led. So. Oh, that's
0: really cool. And now, and now once you got out of school, I, I see that you, you know, started your journey off as a financial analyst mm-hmm. and, um, you know, maybe talk to us a little bit more about what, what those early experiences were like for you. And, um, maybe some of the learnings that you took away from, you know, being a financial analyst, being in some of these bigger companies that now you've had to kind of, uh, parlay into, uh, the work that you do now. Yeah, absolutely. I think investment banking advisory is a, is a great, you know, great
1: uh, place to start as an analyst or an associate. Um, you learn a base of skills that are kind of applicable, you know, across finance and in a variety of different careers. Um, and so I think it's a great place to cut your teeth, um, start out and learn how to build models and, and build data rooms and and really, you know, what goes into a buy side process versus a sell side process versus an equity financing or, or IPO uh, type process. And so really being able to build the memos, the presentations, be part of management presentations and. And really, it's just a great learning experience overall, Mm. right? Um,
0: Because you have to like, you have to know what the other person is looking for. And you kind of have to play that game of chess with yourself and then create a presentation that like is going to align with what you think they're going to want to see type of a mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And and you obviously
1: learn from um, the more senior um, team members, right, On, on, you know, kind of what market. Uh, trends are, are driving particular sectors and what, you know, buyers are going to be interested in in terms of certain diligence items. And um, but you're you're 100 percent right. Like you, you learn how to uh, spot those trends and work those into um, marketing materials and memorandums, uh, because. You know, uh, buyers are going to be looking for certain things uh, yeah. for their portfolio and for their, you know, for their investment on on their thesis.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because that skill set is something that you almost have to stop yourself and, uh, you know, you're sort of at least for me your instinct is just to start going and start making a presentation but if you're not like sitting there and thinking about like well they may ask me this or they may want to see this it's almost like we're always thinking on the offensive but not always considering the defensive side of it and and so I can imagine those skills pull themselves in a great way as you start to you know be working with entrepreneurs and um, you know in other LPs that may be don't have as much data behind it. And so you really have to think about how to tell that story and craft it in the right way. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, it's even applicable to venture, right? While the skills you learn in investment banking, whether it's middle market or or elsewhere bulge bracket um, it really is applicable to venture as you said because entrepreneurs there are cer- certain core themes and pieces that go into an investor deck mm-hmm. right you have to have your your team you have to have your product market fit um, you know uh, comp landscape um, you know market analysis those sort of things yeah. financials and so like
0: the, a TAM or you know exactly. just talking about the
1: market yep yep so uh, there's certain pieces that go into it and that's that's really like when you sit down and you think about building a deck or are you building a marketing presentation you have to think like what who's my audience and what do I want them to get out Mm -hmm. of it what do I want them to take away Um, and um, you know how am I going to craft this pitch rather than just you know diving in and and starting to execute on it
0: yeah now if you follow your career you started off as an analyst and then you moved more into like financial reporting and then eventually uh, landed you know within private equity and so you kind of have had like these three pieces to your financial career, and then all of a sudden you jump and become a principal, and you start to move into venture. Was there any one story, or was there a moment where you're like, "I really want to do something different," or like, "What, what was sort of the yeah. the apex of you deciding that you wanted to move?" Because you know, private equity and early stage venture, or even growth stage, there are such different worlds. Like, what was the the precipice that got you to be like, I think I want to make a jump.
1: Yeah, I've always been, I would say, more entrepreneurial. So um, what excited me um, more and more was was less so of the, you know, strategic M&A and the acquisitions and the larger private equity type investment strategy and and more about building companies mm-hmm. w- with entrepreneurs and and the innovation, right, is, is just really exciting. Seeing like uh, a company that's doing something completely different. Different than the incumbents in the industry and looking to take away market share and disrupt, um, you know, large attractive sectors. And so that's really, I think, the entrepreneurial nature, and and then just um, being attracted to the innovation and wanting to work with earlier stage entrepreneurs and help them build, um, as opposed to working with later stage companies that were more lo- looking to enter new markets and I guess um, more more uh, focused on acquisition.
0: And now, when you transitioned from, you know. Bigger markets, the mid market, and then you moved into investing. What advice do you have for others that follow a similar trajectory? Because I I would imagine there's thousands and tens of thousands of. Uh, men and women that go into finance, you know, they go to Stanford or they go to a great school and they go into private equity and then they get there and they're like, this isn't really for me. Like, I think I want to go and, you know, live more in the startup world or in venture. Like, what what are some of the pieces of advice for someone that's transitioning from one to the other?
1: Yeah, I, I would say it probably starts with building your network and surrounding yourself with people that you respect or that you admire in the space. You know, if it's venture, you know, looking at other investors that have had success, mm. becoming friends with, with people and sharing ideas and becoming a thought leader with a particular sector having a focus and a specialty as opposed to just you know blanketly wanting to be in venture right carving out a niche is is important and becoming like a subject matter expert or at least having a knowledge base built around that is really important and then you have to dive in at some point and right and just you know uh, give it a try and and start to actually do the work yeah and and, um, you know work alongside a. You know, a venture investor or, or somebody that's active in the space.
0: And so, you know, kind of taking it from the high level and going more into your own experience, like what was your mentality? Did you find a mentor right out of the gate? Did you have a niche that you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best in this area. Um, or are those things that you've learned along the way that you wish that you would have done right when you got into it.
1: Yeah. I, I think I've had a lot of learnings, uh, all, along the way. Um, and it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, I, I made the transition from I was at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. And it was more of a, a corporate financial mm-hmm. role, and um, I made the transition back into a more transaction-oriented role, um, and, and and specifically chose venture because I was interested in that in being active at an early stage. And so, um, for me, it was going back to business school, and then realizing that I wanted to be active in, in venture and growth stage investing. Um, and so, joined a family office outside of uh, Boston called Beachwood Capital, and um, really became much more active in in uh, investing at at an early stage you know kind of series a and stage within food and beverage and beauty and um, for me that's kind of how I made the transition from that later stage buyout or mm. corporate finance experience into earlier stage venture um, and you know I did have some good experiences during during the time either doing consulting advisory type type of work, uh, more helping companies out that were earlier stage, and um, in, in between. And so I think for me, that was, that, that's kind of what made it a little bit easier.
0: I think back to the early days, I know that of course there are some aspects of work that are fun. There are others that are not fun, but, but for the purposes of like the parts that you were excited about, like once you were in this new role what were some of the the parts of the job, you know, or in the early days for you that brought you energy or brought you alive or made you feel like this was really exciting? Um, you know, for again, for those that haven't experienced being a associate or a principal at a VC fund, like what are some of the elements that right when you got into it, you're like, Man, I really like this?
1: For me, it was um it was connecting with entrepreneurs and and really like trying to dissect an idea in a business model um, and, and, and looking at the industry um, for you know from a lens of does this have the potential to disrupt an, an entire industry and is it applicable you know across across categories or across the nation in terms of the consumers and users. Mm. And so it was really like that more kind of macro or high level view of what what are the industry trends and what are the areas of growth fueling a particular sector. Um, who are the the current incumbents in the sector and how is this company positioned to take market share away? Like, is is their mousetrap better? Is it a a better product? Or do they have a technology edge? Or is it a company embracing um, a new new technology or or something new in the industry? Like a lot of Web3 companies I'm looking at are really, you know, really exciting because they have the potential to disrupt. um, You know, while it's a fairly nascent category right now, it's, you know, it's one that... uh, you know, is, is, is growing and that um, a lot of investors are excited about and putting capital into. So
0: I would imagine that when you're meeting these founders at the early stage and you're assessing the founder and the product or service they have and the market, it's like you have all of these puzzle pieces and you're trying to think about like, Will all of these fit together in the future, whereas at private equity or bigger, you're already sort of given the full puzzle, like put together and you're just deciding like, you know, do we want to make it bigger or smaller? And and it, it seems like, you know, what you're doing now has a lot more creativity or imagination involved in it.
1: Yeah, there's certainly more more freedom um, and, and more. Um, More of a chance uh, to to make uh, a wrong choice or a wrong decision. Right. With entrepreneurs on a daily basis, Um, they're faced with decisions and um, every decision carries, I would say, um, more a more risk of of their business going out of business um, because it is so, you know, so early, the budgets are so tight, the Mm -hmm. capitals uh, so thin um, that. Um, I think, you know, the um, they're really fighting for for survival, right? Um, whereas, as you said, at a later stage, it's more about what's going to propel our growth. Yeah. Um, how can we acquire companies that are perhaps more innovative or bringing new products to market that are are positioned a little bit better with today's consumer um and so yeah that that's what gets me excited is talking to those entrepreneurs that have like the game-changing ideas or the ideas mm-hmm. you've never thought of it never occurred to you um and um you know some of the ideas are actually um are kind of right in front of you it's it's that idea of like well why didn't i think of that that's so simple but then you know it just it just intuitively works and it's such a good product market fit um, so,
0: yeah, that's that's fascinating. I want to I want to learn more about, you know, what are the types of people or businesses that you just totally wow you. But um, I, I am curious, like I just asked you. You know, in the early days, what were some of the things that just totally brought you alive? And you're just like, wow, this is so awesome. I'm also curious on the flip side, you know, was there anything that you went through in your early days, not even now, but like when you first got into it, that you thought to yourself like, man, I never expected that to happen or things that you had to do that you're just like. Uh, maybe took energy away from you. But, you know, again, I I, I want to kind of balance out the like excitement of venture with also like what should people know going into it that could be, uh, you know, a hurdle, a roadblock or a challenge.
1: I would say I, I didn't expect to leverage um, more of like the quantitative financial acumen and skills that I'd learned. Um, I guess Maybe it was naivety, but I had thought more so when I was first getting started in venture that it was more about, especially at, at seed stage, more betting on the entrepreneur. Um, you always hear about betting on the jockey, not the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and more like macro big picture thoughts on like, you know, how could this company be a unicorn and change this industry? Yeah. As opposed to really like, especially consumer products, getting down at series A or series B stage, you're looking at. Unit economics, mm-hmm. gross margin profile—you're really digging in on the financial model to assess like cash flow when the business may need to raise again. Um, is it properly capitalized? Do the projections, you know, hold water and, and make sense? Right? Are they achievable based on uh, the stores and the di- di- distribution and, and velocity, et cetera? And yeah. so I was surprised by how much um, I leveraged my background in, in in investment banking and private equity, and in terms of going through the data and materials and building the models and wow. things of that sort.
0: So, Do you feel like that's giving you an edge that maybe those that don't have that experience, you know, they just can't pull from it? I think to a certain extent. I mean, most, um, you know, venture capital
1: firms of, of any size have teams that, that are kind of doing that sort of work. Um, but certainly as I'm assessing opportunities, I'm leveraging it, right? And so it's it's nice to have that sort of skill set in in my arsenal and be able to to, to uh, um, tap on it when I need it. Um But um, but I I also think it's nice to have the diversity and and people from different walks of life and different backgrounds within venture. They bring unique perspectives and look at things in a different way um, that, you know, may see things that that I may miss or or um, just be able to identify things that, um, you know, are are uh, present and and that they have the knowledge base to identify.
0: And now after, Will, after you spent time as a principal at Beachwood and you got to, you know, be a part of like a family office, what was the next step for you in your venture career? Like what, what were you not getting, you know, not that it was quote unquote, a good experience or a bad experience, but what were you not getting at Beachwood or in a family office that you wanted to get more of at your next career opportunity?
1: Yeah. Um, for me, it was, <clears throat> again, it may be go back to me just being a little more more entrepreneurial is I Mm. wanted to go a little bit earlier in stage okay um and also wanted to be a little bit more diversified in terms of the verticals that that I looked at within consumer because prior to that I had experience you know in in apparel and and home goods and restaurants and, and other areas outside of just pure play food and beverage um and so I wanted to be able to Look at a few different verticals. Perhaps look at a little bit earlier of a stage, and also I was, I was interested in taking more of a collaborative co-invest model mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a pure lead investor type strategy. Okay, opening up at least for me, opening up the the marketplace a little bit and being more collaborative in in terms of the investment style with a co-invest model and being able to look at different companies, whether they were at seed stage or A or B, um, is just finding the best partners and the best opportunities and then helping them
0: grow. What's the psychology and or the pros and cons of leading the round versus co-investing in the round? Obviously, there's this like, I don't know if this is the right word, but almost like the ego of like, I'm leading this round versus the actual like technicality of like what does it mean or why would you want to versus not want to uh, you know and i know that every deal is different and sometimes there are board seats sometimes there are not but bring us through sort of like the strategy or psychology around like why would you not want to be the lead in in certain situations it is a certain amount
1: of ego um that, that goes into it for me i i think What sets a lead Mm. investor apart from a co-investor is typically the lead investor has the best, closest relationship with the company, has Mm. forged that relationship with the CEO and the founder is really going to be looked to as the investor um, that the company goes to when they have a problem or when they have an issue or even when things are going well. Right. Um, And so that that sets the lead apart from the co-invest. I would also say the lead typically is the one bringing like the investment thesis to the table that's done perhaps the most diligence on the opportunity, whereas, and and they're setting terms with the company, whereas the co-investors are coming on after the lead is engaged or on a follow-on basis, uh, following the leads uh, uh, on an investment. And so for me, that's, that's the mentality and, and thought process. I've always thought, though, as a co-investor, you can continue to do, um, you know, very high degree of diligence and have a thesis and bring that to the table. And you can also um, complement the lead um, whereas you know in, in different ways so the lead investor may have a particular expertise in a certain sector or knowledge base or skill set that they're bringing as a co-investor what you want to do is is bring something different something mm-hmm. that's gonna help the company in a different way where the entrepreneur can tap you or another co-investor that has another background that's accretive to the entire group right so that it's a win-win for everybody and I've t- typically found and forged relationships with lead investors that recognize like they want other co-investors around the table that bring something different to the table that they don't bring
0: yeah um, because that's what's best for the company ultimately when the company wins typically the investors totally and now knowing that network is such a big part of the venture community because you haven't lived here your whole life do you have to lean more on going back to the kind of the same question like your quant skills and like is that what the lead investors are looking at in you is there like will's going to bring a different dynamic to the analysis, the due diligence, the like quantitative approaches, is, is that sort of where you like to position yourself in that co-investing value for us? I'm fortunate that, you know, we've go across
1: our group. We've got 14 different marketing agencies in the group, mm-hmm. and so what we bring uh, typically, as a co-investor, although we can lead opportunities as well, um, is we bring that marketing media expertise. Hmm. Um, so, if a company needs help with uh, thinking through brand strategy, brand platform work, um, you know, go-to-market type strategy, we've got agencies that are specialists in you know, kind of that creative and brand building type of uh, marketing work. We've got agencies that do more of the creative production of really amazing TV campaigns or, or docu series. And so, um, across the group, pretty much everything from A to Z in terms of marketing capabilities we can deliver. Um, and so really it's about picking and choosing the best agency or partner, depending on where the company's positioned mm. in terms of size and stage. Interesting. Okay. And so that's, that's really what we bring and that's what sets us apart as a co-investor is if there's a particular facet of marketing um even even digital development if a company needs a new app or a new website we've got an agency out of australia that does you know amazing work in the space in terms of ar vr website builds e-com op- optimizations really cool uh things and so really for me as i'm assessing diligence and looking at investment opportunities the conversation with the entrepreneur a lot of times is um more more marketing related um on where there are gaps in the team or where they feel like they could use more support or may not have resources and then we kind of we, we package that and put together a proposal to um uh, inform the entrepreneur on how we could be potentially supportive as a co-investor and that fit, that informs our investment decision as well
0: after you moved from your family office at beechwood uh, is is Trail Post Ventures was that the next move from from that family yeah. office
1: yeah so I launched Trail Post Ventures af- after um, leaving Beachwood and um, actually launched it with a friend of mine that I met during uh, business school at, at USC and um, we both had experience in the consumer space and I think a passion and an interest in, in consumer um, you know food and beverage and, and beauty personal care and Um, And so wanted to launch that, as I said, and be a little bit more entrepreneurial, look at a little bit earlier of a stage, take more of a collaborative like co-invest model, Mm. um, because we saw some of that missing from the space. Some of the firms that had success leading investments in the space raised larger funds, needed to deploy larger checks and went up into more of the growth equity space. And so we felt like there was really a gap in companies anywhere from a few million to kind of 20 to 30 million net sales that really needed to raise that first institutional round of capital. They'd raised friends and family. They'd Mm -hmm. gone on to market, uh, demonstrated some sort of proof of concept or market traction in the marketplace, but then needed to raise their first round of capital. And this is a space that, most investment banks and advisors don't cover because the the capital being raised doesn't make sense. Right to justify little, except, their fee. Right. And so right. so we saw a gap in that space. We launched Trailpost Ventures um, and and um, yeah, found some great partners um, in in Notpods and June Shine and and um, uh, Rumpel um, and and so uh, Nadam and, and and you know taking more of that co invest model and trying to be helpful and add value mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, we didn't have the, uh, you know, the, the operating assets that, that I do now at, at our group. Um, but we did have a knowledge base and skill set and network. And um, we could take more of a, uh, I guess, collaborative and friendly approach with entrepreneurs on how, you know, how, what other, co- what, you know, What other co-investors, what lead investors they should be talking to, um, how they should be thinking about growing the business, what strategics are really looking for in the space, things of that nature.
0: Talk to us a little bit more about business school. Um, We've had, you know, a dozen or more guests on the show that have, um, you know, explored getting an MBA or executive MBA or things of that nature. uh, And. I kind of have heard mixed reviews. In some cases, people have said it's the greatest thing they've ever done. And in other cases, they say that it may be something that, you know, they could live without or that they would have rather invested that money and time into, you know, other facets of their life or business. Um, What was your experience like? And and maybe on top of just your experience, you can talk a little bit more about what it's like to work with someone that you went to school with and that, you know, you're not friends from like forever, but you have similar paths. And so, um, you know, Tell us a little bit more about business school. Would you still do it the exact same way now? Yeah, for me, that that's
1: what it was about is building a network, right? Being from Ohio and from the Midwest and, you know, having the experience in um, Chicago and San Francisco and L.A., um, I realized that, like, I wanted to be on the West Coast long term, and so I wanted to build a network in and around, ideally, the L.A. area. Um, and so for me, that was what business school was about, hmm. was, was going back, uh, taking a bit of a break from the path that I was on in terms of... Uh, uh, working in uh, finance um, at a later stage and um, and really um, repositioning my career path to an earlier stage within venture and, and growth equity um, and as well as you know building my network um, of, of friends and and people uh, within the industry and with you know on the west coast. Um, and so I had a great experience overall. Um, I would say that um, if you're, you know, if you're happy, if you're not looking to make a pivot and you're happy with the you know career and growth trajectory on where you're at, um, then perhaps going back to business school may not make sense. I think most of the people, at least in, in my class, were looking to make some sort of pivot mm. or change in their in their career. Um as opposed to, uh, going back to business school just to get, you know, better uh, at whatever they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, great experience for me. Uh, it, you know, also gave me a chance to take a step back, um, and do a bit of, uh, soul searching and, and, and trying to realize Mm -hmm. what motivated me and what did I like about venture versus the later stage and, you know, trying to answer some of those, those tough questions on, um, you know, what, what, what are my interests and what are
0: my skills aligned best with, um, in terms of the career knowing that Trailpost was your very first venture fund what was it like in the early days because you know i could imagine that raising a fund in general your first one is very tough but doing so right out of school without having a lot of you know uh experience what was raising your first fund like was it exciting stressful like did never happened? What what will yeah. bring us into into the early days of Trailpost?
1: Yeah, so we were we were operating really on a, a deal-by-deal basis. So we were uh, establishing SBVs, we were doing all kind of front-loading, all the diligence and work that you would do on an investment as if you had a fund and then okay. setting up a special purpose vehicle to basically fund the investment. And so doing investments on a deal-by-deal basis, it provided a lot of flexibility yeah. um, in, in terms of what we could look at on stage, sector, um, and and geography, um, but it also added another element of, we you know, fortunately had great networks with family offices, high net worths that we were able to bring into certain investment opportunities because we'd built that trust Got over it. our career. Um, but that's how we were operating with, with Trail Post is really identifying, the best assets and opportunities in the space, doing all the diligence and work, and then packaging up a- That's incredible. Investment memo, a thesis as a co-investor in the space and- Without having to put your own capital up at all. That's right. Well, we were investing in, in the deals as well, but um, but yeah, really, I, I think most of the family offices and um, other, uh, Industry veterans and investors were more interested in our thesis and our diligence yeah. and what we were underwriting on on a particular company. Um, and so yeah, as I said, fortunate that we found some really great partners that um yeah.
0: Which is really it's really cool and great advice because I think that there's a lot of people that are, you know, again, I, I keep going back to like the college or just getting out of college that they're like, How the hell am I supposed to start my own fund and come up with my own money? I don't have millions of dollars, but I think when they hear your story, you're essentially showing them that, like, you can meet the people and build the network. You can diligence their projects. You can, you know, package together all of the pro form. You can make everything and then deliver that and still be a part of the deal. And, like, that's something I think that not a lot of people even consider doing. I've heard that advice before where they're like, you know, I've had guests come on the show and say, if you want to get into venture, just start. Diligencing deals. And so I think that the one difference between just doing diligence on the deals or just like pontificating is actually packaging together. And I feel like that's it's really cool because it goes back to what we were talking about in your earlier part of the interview where in your early career you had to package together all of these pieces so that you're effectively like moving dollars. This is very similar. You're just packaging it together, but you know, bringing family offices or investors in.
1: Definitely. Yeah. With, with anything it's, it's, you know, how do you get better is with practice and repetition, right? Mm -hmm. And just going through uh, the the thought process of identifying an opportunity or a company and doing the research on the market and, and the competition, what, you know, what differentiates this company, how are they going to win and, and packaging all of that and putting it together. Whether your investment thesis plays out and you're right or wrong, I think is, is you know, it doesn't really matter. It's it's more about going through that process and having an opinion and being able to do the work and package it up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you're going to be doing later, right? So it's, um, you know, it's, as you said, it's about diving in and, and kind of, you know, jumping in the water and, and, and swimming.
0: I don't know. I don't know if this If this question uh, makes sense because it may be so case by case uh, and your experience just may be so different than others. But I I feel like if you're in this you're in this world where you're meeting family offices or you have a network or you have a best friend that's like, hey, my uncle does X, Y and Z and you're like, great, I want to meet him. I feel like the pressure is still on you to deliver good deals because no family office or many family office investors like they just don't want some guy named Will being like what do you think about this deal and so how do you how do you maintain credibility even when you're not putting money behind it you know how do you build that reputation to family offices or investors that there's like Will's going to bring us great deals um you know I like I said I don't know if it's just individual you're just like I'm just great at it and other people may not be but how do you avoid being that person that's just bringing a bunch of crappy deals that ends up actually like hurting your reputation in that sort yeah. Of world
1: Yeah it's a it's a great question. I think it's about relationship building, right? You're what you're doing at least for me is is with other investors you're establishing trust and you're building a relationship over opportunities and investments um and so you want to show them that like hey you've got a thesis or a particular sector or a way of looking at an opportunity that may be a bit different or you have a unique angle on an opportunity Um, And and it's about doing the work and it's really it's for me, it's always been collaborative, right? They should be bringing something as well. It's Mm -hmm. not just one sided of you always sharing opportunities. They should have opportunities they're sharing with you um, and vice versa. And so um, I think there is a partnership mentality on um, what you can bring to the deal, what what you're going to do differently. Uh, for the company and the entrepreneur, what they could potentially bring to the deal, how it can be, you know, potentially a win-win for everybody. Um, And then at the end of the day, I think it is about track record, right? I mean, it it goes without saying, but like you want to try and establish a track record Mm -hmm. or a knowledge base and an expertise in a certain uh, space or sector. Um, And hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully you choose good partners and you build good relationships and um, you know you're you're really diligent about how you go about looking at opportunities and um, sharing opportunities with other investors.
0: And now, even though you started uh, Trailpost Ventures, you've since like moved on. And while that's still a part of your journey, uh, you're now at Miro, uh, Maroma Group. And what was sort of the initiation? Was there a story? Was there a meeting you had with the founder? Like what got you sort of interested in this new potential opportunity for yourself?
1: Yeah. What, what I was seeing in the industry was, um, an evolution within venture. Um, and, and what for me, what interested me was um, finding a partner or a group that could bring more than just the capital and the investment to the table, um, because there were quite a few funds popping up and um, competition was very high within venture and and the growth stage. Um, And so what I kept hearing from entrepreneurs is Um, We've got our lead investor. We need to fill out the round with other co-investors, but we want people that can really add value in different ways Mm -hmm. that can be more strategic, that are gonna be long-term partners. So that's what attracted me to the group was having the marketing expertise and the assets on a global basis. And obviously they had a successful track record of investing in venture, um, but was really that differentiator of being able to bring more than just capital to the table and having that long-term partnership mentality of building businesses that I think I kept hearing from entrepreneurs that was missing. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I think the venture space is continuing to evolve. It hasn't quite gotten there in terms of um, the evolution on, on fund structure or bringing operating advisors to the table or really having operating assets that you can bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's certainly a lot more funds now that are – adding value in different ways Um, whereas if you looked maybe like five to ten years ago um, there were funds that were looking to lead investments and write checks and um, potentially be a little bit more passive yeah
0: for sure for sure i mean we've seen it with you know the accelerator programs like why you know like a lot are just pushing more towards deeper value and um, and i've certainly seen that translate over into even just marketing, you know, like it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of VC podcasts or VCs wanting to go on podcasts. And now it's like, we need to get out there and tell people about, you know, what we do and how we're different. And, um, and, and, you know, like how you're unique, because I think every VC has a, a different sort of angle or, or approach to it. Um, now that you're with mirror, uh, Maroma, um, what stage, companies are you investing in? Is it still at the seed and, and pre-seed? Is it more like series A, Series B? Um, what's the kind of makeup of the typical startup? And do they fall into any one category or industry or are they um are they, you know, pretty agnostic from from what type of company they are? Yeah. So we we focus primarily on series A.
1: That's the best fit for us. Um, okay. There's enough operating history where we can really dig in and diligence and opportunity in a company. Um, we'll, we'll look at seed opportunities as well and invest in seed. And we can go a little bit later into B, our more growth stage opportunities. Mm-hmm. So we have a fair amount of flexibility. Uh, again, that goes back to our our unique structure as more of a, a corporate, um, you know, private company um, with operating assets. And then Maroma Ventures being the venture arm of, of the group. Um, so fair amount of flexibility in, in terms of stage, as well as um, uh, industry verticals. So two broad categories that we look at are consumer, uh, so consumer products, food, beverage, beauty, personal care, health and wellness, fitness, fitness, tech, um, anything consumer facing. Um, and then the other broad category being media platforms, which tend to be more tech oriented or IP, uh, driven businesses that could be marketing tech, ad tech. Could be FinTech, Web3, um, and uh, but generally uh, need support with, with marketing, right? That's the common denominator across all our investments is um, we need to be more active and strategic. We want to help them build the business uh, over the long term as opposed to just investing capital for financial return, um, because across the group, uh, the. The broader group and the agencies, they work with Amazon, Netflix, Starbucks, McDonald's Mm -hmm. on a more traditional marketing ad engagement basis. So with a venture strategy, the idea is we want to find, um, you know, the the next generation of consumer brands and the game changers within the industry that are well positioned for growth, um, but could use a partner that wants to support them and be more active and help build with them.
0: And now just just for my understanding and, and, and our listeners about what would the average check size be? I, I know that today seed stage rounds, series A, like everything is kind of gotten a little out of whack when it comes to how much the checks uh, actually are for each of the rounds. What's sort of like a general fit for, for your team? Yeah. If it's a seed stage opportunity,
1: we're anywhere from a hundred thousand to a million. Okay. Um, if it's series A, we're probably 250 to 2 million in terms of check size. um, It really depends on um yeah the, the the stage of the company um the industry vertical um the specific opportunity in terms of uh what the marketing or scope of work could look like and um and and so yeah it depends on a variety of different factors, but we're generally fitting in with those check sizes as, as more of a co-investor mm-hmm. in these opportunities mm-hmm. um, and then looking to invest across rounds as well so that would be initial check and then we look to follow on
0: thereafter cool and then you've mentioned a couple times today, you know not for any one reason or another, just Web3, crypto, NFTs, blockchain, just just in general, Um, before talking about your journey with it, I'm just curious, like, what's your perspective looking out three to five years from now seven to ten years from now do you are you very bullish on where it's going are you in your mind thinking like this is a bunch of hogwash and like it's just going to fizzle out like just generally what are you thinking you know maybe not this month or next month but a couple years out three to five years out six to ten years out like what what what's your pov yeah yeah you're on the record by the way (laughs) (laughs) i would say i'm i'm I'm
1: very bullish uh overall I, i feel like we're definitely early innings um and and the most difficult part i would say right now as an investor is trying to identify the areas that over the next decade or two decades are going to be built into yeah that's where the growth is going to be coming from are, are these particular verticals so um that's that's i think what's challenging as an investor right now just because it is so early and it's being built as we speak and there probably aren't you know potentially even the companies that are going to be the game changers in the industry yet. Um, So I I think you do have a lot of, um, um, you know, you have a lot of like shady uh, dealings right now within the industry, a lot of tokens and coins that are coming to market. What we're looking at is, um, you know, how can certain elements of Web3 make a business more efficient or make it a better experience for the consumer? So there are certain things with NFTs and Web3 um, that are attractive from a loyalty standpoint um, or offering a digital experience or um, offering, um, you know, a microtransaction or a a part share of a particular asset that uh, previously wasn't possible. Um, And so that's what we think is interesting. Um, What we want to find are companies that can build across, that are fairly agnostic, that can build across tokens or coins that are more platforms or, or that are infrastructure they're going to be around regardless of whether it's solana or, or bitcoin or or one of the others in terms of the currencies. so
0: i can tell like one of the things that you enjoy the most is to meet these uh uh inspirational energetic founders and like you know going to break through walls what are the qualities that you're looking for in those uh founders that you want to invest in obviously they you want to have a story that you believe in and you want to feel like that charisma from them. But what are some of the traits that you look for in founders that make you say like, this is going to be a big win for us? Founders should have uh, an element of curiosity, um, you know,
1: and and, and be able to uh, question industries and and really have that challenger mindset of of looking at incumbents and strategics within the industry um, and trying to do something different um, and you know question the status quo. Um, I think that's that's really important. Um, I think founders um, absolutely should have the ability to take a step back and realize. Um, what are the what are the weaknesses in my business model? Uh, what are the weaknesses in my team or me as an individual and how can I um, complement those or, or strengthen those? Yeah. that's a really important quality. Um, I think, you know, it goes without saying, but just having like pure flat out hustle and ability to like sell and pitch Your business your idea is a really important quality in entrepreneurs Mm. and yeah i i think surrounding yourselves again with with great investors and great advisors and um you know taking a um a a long term view on a particular sector and how you're gonna be able to differentiate and and build
0: um is important what are some of the red flags like within within web 3 especially i'm like so curious because like you know obviously every investor has their own thesis their own imagination their own thought process and they I you know many would like to believe that they're not really uh, they're not really like pushed by other people's decisions but at the same time I feel like that fear of missing out on the next big thing and that emotional feel like, you know, in some cases, even the best investor is still getting sort of pushed by other people's thoughts and and opinions. And right now there's such like a negative connotation around crypto and, and, you know, all of the coins. So, you know, what are the things that you're looking for that are like rising these red flags for you? Because, you know, people are, I would imagine, are pitching you on technology. That's like, it hasn't been created yet it's like in the middle of a bad market for it. And so you really have to like think deep about where it's going. What are the traits that you look for that are like, I don't think this is going to work or I don't like the vibe that I'm getting. Is there anything in particular that you're looking out for, not just for what you want to invest in, but maybe to avoid what you don't want to invest in?
1: Yeah, yeah. There are a few things. I, I would say um, one one red flag for me personally as an entrepreneur is having... Um, you know, the like more of a sense of arrogance, you know, in, mm-hmm. in terms of how you're pitching to mm-hmm. investors or talking about your your idea. Um, and um, part part of looking at these businesses in, in Web3 now is um, it has to be it has to be fundamentally a good business model, right? There has to be inherent qualities in it. It can't just be you know, Web3 and um, and crypto and, and tokens and incorporating elements of NFTs just because it's the new hot, um, yeah. Buzzword amongst investors, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of that as businesses that were perhaps good businesses, but they're stretching their business model or their growth plan to incorporate Web3, as opposed to it being fundam- like a fundamental part of the business of Web3 enhancing their business model or making their business model more efficient. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of a lot of that in investor decks right right now, and I think for me that's that's a red flag. Um, it should be. Building a great business within Web Web three, um, or building a great business within consumer products, and then being able to enhance it with a Web three experience makes makes sense. Um, but trying to bolt it on or incorporate it into the growth plan because you know that's what investors are interested in, or that's the kind of the hot item is is a red flag um, for me.
0: Other than crypto, I know that you mentioned consumer facing, you know, companies. Is there anything that you're like just personally excited about or, or parts of consumer that you're just like, I really like this area? Um, doesn't necessarily have to be representative of your whole fund. But, you know, what are the types of deals that you're like, oh, man, this is exciting. Like, I can't wait to learn more about it.
1: What's exciting me and, and what I'm seeing a lot of right now within consumer is um, sustainability themed businesses, social mm-hmm. impact themed businesses, for
0: example or like like what does that mean So
1: we had, we invested in a business called Heat based out of the UK that's taking Luxury apparel that would have otherwise been thrown away and ended up in a landfill and, and packaging it in a mystery box of product and offering a significant discount to the consumer for um, for that product and, and for that mystery box. Um, so it has a sustainability theme. Apparel is probably one of the biggest contributors to global warming and, and uh, um, you know uh, negative effects of the environment. And so I'm looking for those businesses that have fundamentally a better business model and then also that social impact or yeah. sustainability theme. Right, which is is tough to do. Sometimes I see businesses that have the sustainability theme and um, really, you know, are are a B Corp and want to build something better for the environment, but fundamentally may not be a great. Business model or investment. Um, and so it's it's tough to have both in a very authentic uh way. Um and so that's one of the areas that I'm I'm really excited about and, and looking at. I think you continue to see um exciting trends of health and wellness within food and beverage and beauty personal care, whether it's uh, eating you know plant-based, um, alt proteins, yeah. um some some really interesting things there. And that's even Spilling over into segments that you wouldn't think of as as health and wellness, alcohol and ready to drink spirits being one of them, right? Um, which we were early investor in, in June Shine, and, and you know they've cleaned up the uh, ingredient profile, put to, put together just a a, a better product um, that still has um, you know alcohol in the product, but has a better you know ingredient stack in it, right? Yeah. So, so you can feel better about what you're drinking, even even when you're drinking alcohol.
0: Uh, Will, I've been asking everyone on the show this recently, uh, it's a little bit of a a segue from the investing talk, but um, it's something that I'm, I am I do love to ask. Um, if there's one person in your life that you wanted to give just a special shout out to for them making a big impact on you, whether it's family or friends or old colleagues or anything, is there anyone that you can think of that uh, you just want to throw some love to and and just, you know, that's just been like a real key part of your life, whether it's your career or just like when times have been tough anyone come to mind that, uh, has just been like a real, like key figure for you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, first off, I should probably
1: say my wife, uh, just cause we,
0: we we've <laughs> got to cross that <laughs> off.
1: Uh, no, but I mean, we've moved around so much for, for different finance jobs and things. And she's always been, you know, the, the rock in there and been able to move. So that's been incredible. I would also say, um, I actually got, referred to and met, uh, my current group through the former CEO of coffee, bean and tea leaf, Mel Elias. Um, and so wow. I've been able to work with him on consulting projects and, um, and look at investment opportunities in the space. And so, yeah, he's, he's
0: been amazing and kind of a mentor of sorts. So that's awesome. Will, what are you most excited about? Um, again, could be family related, could be work related. Um, what are you just really excited about, uh, for the rest of the year?
1: I'm really like, want to learn more about web3 right mm-hmm. there's a there's a curiosity element and because it is so nascent i'm you know i'm trying to figure out where to play and 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 how that fits into the investment thesis and so yeah i'm really excited to see how that plays out especially with the macro backdrop and the you know the public markets obviously um you know huge pullback there and that's uh spilled over into crypto with you know, yeah crypto winner and um yeah i'm really really interested to see the innovation because i still i think if you look at um, some of the smartest people and the people that are um, graduating um, in, in grad school or undergrad um, at some of the best universities—they're going into Web three and crypto, uh-huh. right? Like that's uh-huh. the common. And so, like some of the best and brightest are going to have like the new innovation and the new company. over. They're going to have like six to
0: you know yeah. years of like totally. continuing, yeah, yeah. And so,
1: it's probably a company that. You know you've never heard of or an idea that doesn't make much sense right now but um fast forward five to ten years you know is, is really well positioned and hitting on like all yeah that's know, really all cool the trends so
0: awesome man will this was a killer episode i really appreciate you making the trip down um for anyone that wants to get in touch with you or your fund or learn more about um you know your team what's the best way to get in contact with you or or to connect on their their startup yeah. Um, obviously, social handles. Um,
1: go to our website. My email is will.schmidt at maroma.com. So you can send me a note there.
0: Um, and Yeah. Looking forward to staying in touch. This was amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Will. you crushed it. From everyone listening or watching at home, thank you so much. I'm Sean Goldfaden, CEO of Coefficient Labs, and this is Demo Day. Peace, guys.